Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Pod, excuse me, the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News, joined by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. You can get the Talking Tide podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you prefer your podcast from also live on facebook and youtube twice weekly in the fall as we take you through this 2023 alabama football season the twitter feed talking underscore tie get links to all of our podcasts right there on the twitter feed so give us a like on facebook give us a subscribe on youtube and a follow on twitter and we'll take you right through this Alabama football season. Uh, quickly want to thank Peter Brook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, our fine sponsor, and also, of course, Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Tuscaloosa uh, from where we are broadcasting, or I'm actually live uh, and enjoying myself on this uh, uh, nice Sunday night on the porch at Heat Pizza Bar. Great atmosphere out here. Lots of people enjoying the outstanding signature pizzas. More on that later in the program. But, Travis, we begin breaking down this Alabama football victory over Ole Miss. Gets Alabama to 3-1 and and 1-0 in SEC play. They're down 7-6 at the half, but a big second half gets the Crimson Tide home. It does, and a steady defensive performance that evolved into a dominant defensive performance as the afternoon wore on for that side of the football. Uh, Ole Miss with a nice drive there in the first quarter. Uh, looked like it was ready to put some points up on the board, but uh, the Alabama defense did what it needed to do really from that point forward. Really from the point that Lane went with his trick formation there after the touchdown possession, got a illegal formation penalty got behind the sticks on that drive, and from that point forward, never really got in front of them again as the Alabama defense turned up the heat literally and figuratively. And look, do it without Deontay Lawson for a good bit of that game. He goes out with the ankle injury. Uh, I thought those other inside linebackers filled in admirably. Jahad Campbell, Kendrick Blackshire, Trez Marshall, and um, you know, just the perimeter of this defense continues to play at such a high level, whether you're talking the corners, whether you're talking the star, whether you're talking those outside linebackers, and then to get a step forward from guys like Tim Keenan and Jaheim Otis on the interior, Tim Smith also active in the game. Uh, really, really encouraging for that Alabama defense. Yeah, the pass rush just got better and better throughout the afternoon for the Crimson Tide, especially late when it was obvious that Judkins was – going to be pretty much a non-factor really once Ole Miss got down a couple st- scores. You knew Jackson Dart was going to throw it. The play action uh, doesn't frighten anybody at that point. And so uh, Alabama's uh, pass rush really got after Dart late in the game. Another big game for Dallas Turner, a couple sacks. And good to see Chris Braswell, Travis, have a big game as well. One and a half sacks for him. Braswell, at times we've seen in the past, He's been really good at getting pressure, but maybe struggles sometimes to finish uh, at the quarterback. Well, he he got a couple of finishes in this one. He did, and you wondered about him adding the weight that he did in the offseason. You you saw him listed at 255 going into the season, and you're like, oh. But I think he's handled that well, and I think it's been very beneficiary uh, to the Alabama defense. He's setting edges against the run at a high level. Uh, and he's using some of that increased strength in some of his pass rush stuff. He was pretty much a, a speed guy before. Uh, now you're seeing him use that long arm technique to get leverage and to win against offensive tackles. And, you know, five-man protection, again, with Keenan coming on, with Jaheim Otis coming on, 
you start getting that interior push to go with those edge guys, uh, five-man protection is going to be tough for some of these offenses, I think, down the road. Best defensive performance uh, relative to the opponent. Best defensive performance of the season so far, certainly by the Crimson Tide. Uh, before we jump over to the offense, let's hit on a few, a little bit of the craziness that we saw in this game, Travis. Three pretty wild plays. One certainly would be the Ja'Cory Brooks blocked punt in the end zone, which uh, gave Alabama a first and goal at the one. We'll get to what happened on the first and goal in a minute. Uh, but the block, the block punt was was huge in the game, I think, and uh, a momentum shifter for sure. Nick Saban actually broke that play down on his TV show, and it was pretty intricate the way they set that up for Brooks. I think they had one defensive lineman kind of looping from one gap to another in order to draw some attention in the direction that they wanted it drawn. And then the next thing you know, Brooks is, is loose up the middle for the block. Yeah, it looks similar to Brooks's block at Texas A&M a couple of years ago on the road in College Station. And I, I saw that breakdown today from Nick and uh, how Alabama tried to overload the three-man shield there at the personal protector level, and they were successful. They gave one or two of those guys a little bit of eye candy, some things to look at, and they took the bait, and that freed up – Ja'Cory Brooks, and it's a good thing Ja'Cory got the ball because he drilled the punter. If he hadn't gotten the ball, that was definitely roughing the punter, but he did. Uh, unfortunately for Alabama, you get a first and goal from the one-yard line. You go shotgun from the one-yard line. You get immediately a bad snap from Seth McLaughlin. You end up losing 22 yards, I think it was, on the possession. But, hey, at least Will Riker's around because you had a couple of mistakes there in the first half. Jalen took a sack in which he had plenty of time to ditch the football, turned a relatively easy attempt for Will Reichert into a 48-yarder, which he bangs home. And then you lose ground on the the block punt possession that you got, uh, but Will gets you points for that as well. And you're right, a game that had 34 total points felt like there was more because it seemed like there was a lot of stuff going on really throughout that game. Yeah, it, it was nuts. It, it, here's what I'll say about that first and goal from the one. It, and and Seth McLaughlin's gotten a lot of criticism this season for the bad shotgun snaps, and it has been a major problem. And it's something that they've got to get cleaned up as quickly as possible. But I'll tell you this, Travis, if whatever amount of blame anybody wants to put on McLaughlin for what happened on that first and goal, you can put just as much or more, in my opinion, on Tommy Reese for going shotgun from the one because the shotgun inside the five is like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. Okay. I, I think, I don't, I don't think it should even exist. And offensive coordinators for whatever reason, they love illegal. It. it should be an illegal formation. It should be like a five yard penalty. If you line up in the shotgun from the one, it, I, I agree. It, it, I, I think I've just, I think I've just become desensitized to it. I mean, I was a part of that crusade for years too, but now I think I'm just like, well, you know, everybody's doing it. It's kind of like when we were kids and, you know, smoking cigarettes. You know, it's kind of yeah. like a lot of kids just said, ah, I know I shouldn't smoke these cigarettes, but it must be cool because all Here the other go. kids are doing it. So yeah. uh, give me those uh, menthols. No, I, I'm with you, but I, I feel like I'm just desensitized at this point whenever an offense, yeah. any offense lines up at the one-yard line in the shotgun. Especially when you've got a quarterback who's big and strong enough to push a yeah. pile the way Jalen Milrow is and with the college rules, the way they are where you can do a a bush push anytime you want. Right. You could, 
you could pull a tackle on a sneak and get him behind the quarterback and shove him in there. Yeah. That that gets me on another soapbox, by the way. They're banning that Bush Bush and high and state high school associations, by the way. Yeah. It's uh, coming in college too, I think. Yeah. I think it'll Because now up. you're getting you're getting formations that are drawn up specifically yeah. to assist the quarterback from behind on those yeah. plays down on the goal line. But and I don't blame these offenses. If they're gonna let you do it, do it. Right. Uh, but I think your point is why isn't Alabama doing it? You know, <laughs> if 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 it's something that you're able to do and um, no, I, I hear you on McLaughlin in that snap, but it, it just felt like one of those moments through the first three plus games were like, you're not surprised anymore. You know, that this mm-hmm. stuff is still happening as you're getting a month into the season. Couple more crazy plays from this game. One on a touch on Travis, certainly the two point call to get Ty Simpson, uh, a run up the middle on a little draw. Uh, to put Alabama up 17-7, an interesting call, a gutsy call, made gutsier by the fact that Simpson had to be the guy because Milrow, the previous play, was out. He needed trainer attention on the field, which means he's got to come out for a play. So, uh, number one, just going for two at all there, a little bit of a head-scratcher for me, but even more so when Milrow wasn't available to run it. Uh, and yeah. yet the, co- the coaching staff with the confidence to run Simpson out there and, and get an extra point. I thought maybe Nick thought it was 12-7 instead of 15-7. to Remember, because it was a 7-6 game right. for a while. So you score there, and it's 12-7. And at that point in the second half, you go for the two to make it a 14-7 to game. I don't know if we would ever get that out of Nick, if that actually was the case. But I'm with you. You kick the extra point there. It's a two-possession game. Yeah. It's 16-7. to seven. You know, 17-7 to is great, too. But there's no difference in two scores right there. So, I'm with you on that one. And, again, especially when you consider that it was Simpson in the game. Give him credit. He battled through a face mask. And right. looked like uh, Centurion Perkins had a shot at him at the goal line. And uh, Simpson still gets in there. So, uh, all's well that ends well. But I- I'm with you on that one, too. And then finally, to kind of top off the craziness, Travis, you had the sequence where Alabama essentially lost a down. Uh, Nick Saban asked about it in the postgame. Just to recap that zaniness as as succinctly as possible, uh, Alabama thought they were sitting on a third and short when they had actually been awarded the first down. So they go for a sneak trying to move the chains, and the chains were actually – just not just moving just as that quarterback sneak was being executed uh sounds as though uh, the communication from the official who marks the ball to the alabama sideline was uh lacking and uh, as a result alabama ran a sneak on a first and 10 i think that chain crew might be replaced for the next home game if nick saban has anything to do with it because they were never even set up you know, it was it was very confusing. And even the CBS broadcast uh, had it the way Nick thought it was. Um, yeah, that was a rough situation. I was kind of wondering if you're even thinking that you lost a down there, don't you take a timeout to question it? Even if you take a delay there, it's right. a chip shot field goal for Will Reichard. Five yards isn't going to matter down there if you're going to kick it anyway. Um but it, it was poorly communicated, poorly managed, I thought, more than anything uh, by the game officials and the, and the people working the sticks. 
suffice it to say, it'll be highlighted, bold-faced, and italicized in uh, the notes that go from the UA staff to the Southeastern Conference office, which, of course, all SEC team, all these college teams, Travis, they send into the conference issues they have mm-hmm. with, with officiating. Uh, that one, I think, will be on page one, Travis. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll be on a sticky note either. I, I think it'll... <laughs> You might be able to get this one on audiobooks. It might be so long because that that could have been a huge play, you know, and yeah. in the grand scheme of things. But it's another one of those situations in that crazy quarter there uh, that falls under that all's well that ends well uh, category. All right, the Alabama offense. We'll jump over to that now, Travis. When we did our preview podcast for this game, uh, which of course had some technical, some unfortunate technical difficulties that uh, we certainly apologize for. Um, One of the things we discussed was the plan Alabama would show on offense. Would it look a little different after the debacle at South Florida? I thought it did. Um, I certainly felt like we saw more designed runs for Jalen Milrow, which you and I had discussed would be a positive thing uh, for the offense. And, you know, something else I know, noticed uh on the opening drive as well when Alabama ran down there and got a quick field goal that drive was pretty much run 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 they did try to throw it a little bit especially toward the end I think Miller might have caught a sack at the end of the drive uh but the running game is what moved is what flipped the field for that field goal and uh I, I thought they were effective at it they got away from it um in the middle of the game and then they kind of got back to the running game toward the end uh, but they established the run in the opening drive, and and uh, I, I thought that's I thought that's something that that they could. Uh, I would I would assume the staff is going to try to build on. Yeah, a couple of explosive plays for Jalen right out the gate. One off a scramble, uh, and then that design kind of quarterback off tackle play that they ran, where they got the flank there on the left side, and he was able to split the corner and the backside inside linebacker that was trying to get over there. Then he shows you his strength at the end of that run, especially once he gets downhill. You know, he's able to pick up an extra eight, nine, ten yards after first contact. So a couple different variables that go into wanting to see more of Jalen Milrow in that capacity. I didn't think there was a huge variety in the quarterback runs. I don't necessarily think there needs to be, uh, but it was nice to see at least an addition to what we had seen from the quarterback draw to this point. Uh, in making him a part more so of that run game. The more designed runs they give to Milrow, the more honest the defenses are going to have to play the pass, and also the more honest they're going to have to play Jace McClellan or whichever back is in the game, you know, when you're talking about the, you know, the read option stuff. So it uh, helps all around, certainly, to have a, a quarterback who can who can do it with his feet like Milrow can. For the game, numbers-wise, he was 17 out of 21 uh, well over 200 yards, one touchdown, one interception. The interception, uh, Nick Saban noted, a, a trap coverage got him again. Uh, we talked about that happening in the Texas game. Uh, happened again against Ole Miss. That, that's something that, that Milrose got to figure out quickly for sure. But on the whole, uh, especially given the pass protection issues that Alabama had throughout the first half, especially, uh, I, I thought Milrose played a good game. Yeah, I thought the numbers came out great. I thought his receivers made plays for him throughout the game. I mean, whether you're talking about tight ends, the backs, when he did get the football to the backs, did some good things as receivers. Um, You know, the the touchdown catch by Jalen Hale, uh, 
Uh, the long ball that Burton was able to adjust to in midair and make a great catch on there in the second half. Uh, if these guys really want Jalen Milrow to be their quarterback, they played like it in making plays for him really throughout the game on Saturday. I, I thought the protection was better than it's been. Uh, I still think Jalen at times is very difficult to protect for because you don't know where he's going to be sometimes. He doesn't always stay in there. Um, you know, I, I talked to Griff Redmill one time about this, about blocking for Sean Alexander. It was great to block for Sean Alexander because he was a hell of a back, but sometimes it was frustrating because you'd have it blocked right and Sean wouldn't always follow the scheme. Now, sometimes you'd blow it and Sean would make you look good because mm-hmm. he was that good. So it kind of works both ways. Um, you know, for Jalen, there's still some fundamental mistakes. Like you said, the trap coverage, you can't throw that ball there. If you're going to throw that ball uh, on that route, it's got to be to the back pylon where no one can catch it really except maybe the band or someone. Um and then still holding the ball, still taking some sacks. Uh, but again, I, I thought he hung in there and, you know, he gave his receivers chances to make plays. And to their credit, they made more than a couple. Yeah, the Burton catch that you referenced was really impressive. And I, I don't know which shoulder that ball was supposed to be thrown <laughs> over, but Burton definitely thought it was supposed to be thrown over the outside to the shoulder. Corner. Because yeah. He he turned toward the corner, looked up, ball wasn't there. He turns back to the inside and finds it. Um, and that ball, trajectory-wise, Travis, it was already on its descent by yeah. the time Burton turned back inside, which makes it an even more difficult play for the receiver. But he found the ball, made Milrow uh, look good, I think, on that one for sure. But it was almost – it was almost – it's kind of like the, the, the play that, that as a defensive coordinator, you'd like to see more out of your corners, right? Because a lot of times these corners, they don't trust themselves to turn around and look for the ball, and that's why you see all the face guarding and stuff. Um, but uh, Burton got his head around and found it. Yeah, and 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 the ball to Jalen Hale was a nice ball. That's not to say that it wasn't, uh, but it was really, really good to see a true freshman go up with a couple of defenders in the neighborhood for sure uh, and catch that ball at its highest point and then finish the catch through the ground because he took a hard hit to the back of his helmet when he hit the ground and still – managed to hang on there so again uh Jalen did some good things um but I think just as much a part of that uh were his receivers Oots made a hell of a catch you had Dupree on a third down with Alabama backed up go up and make a grab and then after the catch uh continue to to add to that that big play there so uh not only good to see Jalen have confidence in making some of those throws but uh the receivers rewarding him for it uh, in making those plays. You know, the tight ends are looking like a solid group, and and uh, it's a diverse group that can do a lot of different things, certainly. Um, I, I thought it was curious that – well, first of all, Robbie Utes barely came off the field. I think we're seeing more and more of him, and I think that could be a really good thing for this team because the more he plays, I think that – is an indicator of the staff's uh, emphasis on the running game, right? And and uh, get Oots involved. And that's and look, Oots can Oots can stay on the edge and pass protect too. Um, right. But 
it, it, it seems to me like the offense moves a little bit better with Oots in the game, especially if Alabama's trying to trying to run the football. There was a drive in the first half. I can't remember if it was first quarter or second quarter, Travis, but Alabama spent most of the drive in 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field and pretty much went straight down the field. And then for whatever reason, when they got in the red zone, they started going 11 personnel and it bogged down, um, which usually you see the reverse, right? Usually it might be 11 personnel that moves you between the 20s and you get in the red area and you throw that extra tight in there and you, and you kind of push your way forward uh, to get whatever points you can get. But Alabama kind of flipped it there uh, to its detriment, I thought. Yeah, red zone touchdown conversion rate usually favors the teams, the offenses that can run the football down there. Um, And so I think there's a couple different ways to look at it. The field condenses, you're trying to spread things out, give yourself some more room to work maybe in some of those situations. But I don't think there's any doubt when they commit to 12 personnel right now, the pairing they seem to like the most is C.J. Dupree and Robbie Oots. You're still going to see a lot of Amari Nyblack, but I think Amari's more of their 11 guy, you know, because right. they can flex him out. They can put him in that trips look, that bunch look that they like to utilize, uh, and he can be effective. And he, he's made some strides in terms of blocking and, you know, adding the bulk and strength that he needs to continue to do and add. Um, but if you just want to play more traditional 12, then I think Dupree and Oots are the guys you'll probably see out there the most. All right, the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network, the Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide, broadcasting from Heat Pizza Bar. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Heat right now in downtown Government Square Plaza. I got the fine Government Square Fountain uh, right behind me here at Heat. It's a super atmosphere, great signature pizzas. You come out here and Frank Fleming's staff is going to get you taken care of with some super salads, super appetizers, and, of course, uh, some phenomenal pizzas. The Thai chicken pizza you can't beat. The chicken bacon ranch is a good one. They've got a buffalo chicken pizza uh, you've got to try. And, of course, you can't beat the standard. Uh, that is uh, the top specialty pizza here at Heat Pizza Bar. Rated one of the top pizzerias in all of Tuscaloosa. They'll get you taken care of. Great spot for a, a game day weekend in downtown Always parking in the public parking garage right behind the building here at Heat. Uh, give, them a, uh, give them a call. You can call them in, of course, and they got some great daily specials as well. Drink specials at that full bar. Uh, they got some super pizza specials, too. So check them out. Heat Pizza Bar, Government Square Plaza. I'm going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolatier over there in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North, to be exact. There is that iconic chocolate wheel. And that's important because most of the inventory there at Peterbrook Chocolatier in Tuscaloosa, including those chocolate footballs right there, made in-house on a daily basis. So if you go to Peterbrook Chocolatier and you look in that case and you see those hand-dipped chocolate strawberries, you can rest assured that those strawberries were dipped that day. They haven't been sitting there for a day or two. They're not shipped in. They're hand-dipped daily like so much of the other great items there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa, Sweet 16 is Peterbrook Chocolates here. 
right there in Tuscaloosa, Indian Hills. Check them out. Hard to believe it's been 16 years, but it certainly has. Peter Brook is uh, it's a staple now, Tuscaloosa, no doubt about it. It's the only place to go when you're looking for chocolate of all sorts. All right, the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. We are uh, going to move on the uh, the Tumblr with, with me being live from Heat Pizza Bar. The Tumblr's on suspension. Uh, we didn't make the back. travel roster. Yeah, <laughs> didn't right. travel the Tumblr. No, no, no. We'll go, get back to that Tumblr's like that. Like that third long snapper, you know, when you go on the road, <laughs> stays behind. That's right. That's tumble. right. We'll see. We might be able to bring it on the road at some point this season. <laughs> I expect to be back at Heat Pizza Bar uh, again at some point this fall. Uh, but tonight, the Tumblr uh, takes a break, and that's okay. We're starting to run out of two deepers in that in that Tumblr anyway. I think there's only about a dozen of them uh, popping around there uh, for uh, for us to check out. All right. We are, of course, going to look around at some games around the SEC, though, Travis. Why don't we go ahead and start with the team that Alabama plays next? That would be the Mississippi State Bulldogs. The Crimson Tide will be traveling to Starkville on Saturday to try to notch SEC victory number two on the season. They were losers again uh, to South Carolina. The final score, 37-30. to 30. Uh, This is coming off a uh, disastrous loss to LSU where they got uh, blown out the week before. Uh, and Travis, what's notable, one thing notable uh, about this game and more specifically these last two games for Mississippi State, uh, and you know this has got to be grinding head coach Zach Arnett's gears because he's a defensive guy. Uh, go back and look at what Jaden Daniels and Spencer Rattler have done to Mississippi State secondary the last two weeks. They've completed 48 out of 54 balls between the two of them, Travis. That's uh, – uh, that's that sounds like tonic for whatever might ail a pass offense. Yeah, and that was the concern going into the season for State because MSU actually returned a good bit in that defensive front seven. So you thought, well, that should be a group that against the run is sturdy and can hold up, but can they get enough pass rush to protect a back end that over the last couple of seasons has lost some NFL caliber corners and now some sub and safety personnel to go along with that. You got Marcus Banks, the former Alabama defensive back, uh, working in that state secondary these days, and uh, it's been rough, no doubt about it. I mean, Malik Neighbors had about a half a season and a half of play last week for LSU, and it didn't get any better or much better for state in Columbia, South Carolina. I will say this – it, it, it was a turnaround performance for the state passing game offensively uh, from LSU to South Carolina because Will Rogers had a monster game uh, in, in Columbia. But uh, So you're kind of left to wonder exactly what you're going to see from, from state from an offensive perspective. But I don't think this Alabama team, though, even with that big win over Ole Miss, that top 15 win over Ole Miss, can just take a breath and say, oh, we're, we're good now. We can go on the road. Uh, and we can take care of business, not a problem. I'm not quite there yet with this Alabama team. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond to, to what happened Saturday. A couple other games around the SEC. Texas A&M takes care of business against Auburn, 27-10, to 10, the final there. That one in College Station, Travis. And what about Jimbo Fisher uh, playing 12th man on that turnover, going the other way? The only Auburn touchdown scored in the game was a defensive touchdown. 
and it goes about four yards outside of Jimbo Fisher, but inside the field of play. Uh, phenomenal moment there for Jimbo. I'm sure he was asked about it in his post game, but I did not catch uh, what his what his comment was. Well, even if you did, you you I don't know if you could understand. Well, you know, I was out there. Blah, blah, blah. I can't. I can't Jimbo get in a in a situation like that. It's sped up even more. Um, that was a rough watch, though. That entire game. Max Johnson came off the bench actually uh, for Connor Wiegman, who went out injured and did some nice things. Hit some explosive plays to Evan Stewart, the outstanding wide receiver. But I was watching that game alongside Clemson and Florida State, and I felt like the ACC game was Texas A and M Auburn. In the SEC game was Clemson, right. Florida State. The high-level football was being played in the upstate of South Carolina. Uh, not so much in college. State. That was a rough watch Saturday. Finally, LSU takes care of Arkansas. That final score, 34-31. to 31. A Good spread. Pick of the week. A winner again. Travis, 13-3-1 now against the man. Uh, had the over in that one at 54 and a half, and it looked really bleak at the half. I think, uh, gosh, I think at halftime, uh, they hadn't even, with one minute to go in the first half, I think there had only been like nine points scored in the game. The under was looking like uh, a cigar, uh, as it's sometimes called uh, when it's in the books, but no, uh, a flurry of offense from both teams in the second half gets that over home, and it got Brian Kelly home by three points. Winner of the boot, Brian Kelly. Um, I don't know much about the SEC right now, though, man. Whether even Georgia, I think Georgia's a really good team. Is Georgia a great team at this point? Somebody's got to be number one in the country. I don't know if there's a great team in college football right now, period. Um, but I didn't expect that type of finish in Baton Rouge. Give Sam Pittman, give KJ Jefferson a lot of credit. You know, K.J. Jefferson's a guy who I wondered about in terms of his viability at the next level, and I'm still not convinced he's a starter in the NFL, but that game Saturday night, if I'm watching that as an NFL team, there's a lot I like about K.J. Jefferson, especially in an offense now with Dan Enos that translates more, I think, to the NFL than the one he previously worked in with Kendall Bryles. Before we get out of here, Travis, we'll go ahead and bring in a uh, friend of ours, friend of the program, and former Alabama defensive lineman, uh, Sam Matthews, chiming in with a question. Wants to know who those alphas are on the line of scrimmage. Always uh, always important. And, of course, uh, Sam uh, knows a little something about playing up front, Travis. And, uh, you know, it's a good question. I, th- I think J.C. Latham is, is your alpha on the offensive side. I don't think there's much doubt about that. Uh, on the defensive side, I guess it depends if you're counting those OLBs or not. I'm, I'm going to guess Sam is not counting no. outside linebackers uh, when he's asking about this uh, regarding the DL. Yeah, I, I'll say it again, though. I, I liked what we did see against Ole Miss from Tim Keenan and Jaheim Otis. I, I thought we saw some very positive signs in terms of guys that might be ready to take that step to become more of those war daddy types, Alabama fans and former Alabama players like Sam have grown accustomed to seeing. So it's still kind of a wait and see, I think. Um, and Tyler Booker on the offensive line at times can be that kind of guy as well to go along with J.C. Latham. But I don't think anyone would argue with Sam either. There needs to be more consistency 
needs to be more down in, down out presence from those type of guys moving forward. You like to see those if, if when you're talking about DL play, you like to see somebody up front on the inside who can, even if he doesn't break free and get sacked, somebody who can take a center or a guard and just shove them right in the quarterback's lap, uh, which is something that's kind of a hallmark of some of Saban's great defenses of the past. We've seen that with you know Deron Payne and and uh, uh, Jonathan Allen and some others. Uh, doesn't look like there's that kind of guy, at least at this point on this defensive line. But as you noted, uh, there are certainly uh, signs uh, from both Keenan and Otis that the, that that's uh, that may be coming. Yeah, I agree. I think so. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, the positive outlook with those kind of guys. And I think there's some more guys coming in the pipeline too. I think a guy like Jordan Renaud, who we may not see a lot this season in time, could have a developmental path or arc that's similar to say a Jonathan Allen, just going to take him a little time physically to get there. That James uh, Smith looks the part too, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, James Smith added some weight and he's been in that mix. I think that's where he's a little bit maybe ahead of Renaud in terms of viability as a true freshman. Um, but I, I think there's some some potentially good things coming. It's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. I want to thank Heat Pizza Bar for hosting us tonight. Great to be out here in Government Square at Frank Fleming's fine pizza establishment. Of course, I want to thank Peterbrook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa as well. Be sure to join Travis and I midweek when we uh, broadcast again, previewing Alabama's upcoming game against Mississippi State. Until then, for Travis Ryer, AlabamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.